The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good to see you all this Tuesday morning. You're watching Scorebox with Karen Cho, Jeff Cutmore and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. Shares in AT&T and Discovery close in the red, weighing on other media stocks as investors assess how their content mega merger will impact the streaming industry. After looking at tons of options, it's the right one because of the complementary nature of the content. We think it could be two, three, four hundred million homes over the over 400 the long term. Million, you're really- There's billions of people out there that we could reach in the market. The deal-making continuing on both sides of the Atlantic, with Amazon reportedly eyeing James Bond producer MGM, whilst the French broadcasters M6 and TF1 enter exclusive tie-up talks. Well, we're watching time. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway pairs back banking and energy stakes, while big short investor Michael Burry unveils a more than half a billion dollar bet against Tesla. French food group Danone names its new CEO with Antoine de Saint-Afrique set to take the reins in the third quarter following the departure of Emmanuel Faber amid activist pressure. And the US boosts its COVID vaccine exports amid growing global pressure while the UK warns the Indian variant will be the dominant strain within days but says the jabs are working. The new variant is not tending to penetrate into older vaccinated groups, and it underlines again the importance of getting the jab. We started today talking about this huge media content deal as AT&T and Discovery have confirmed a $43 billion deal to merge their content units and create the world's second biggest media company by revenue after Disney. The newly combined group will hold titles including the Harry Potter and Batman franchises, Game of Thrones and CNN, marking the entry of a major competitor in the streaming landscape. AT&T shareholders will hold 71% of the merged entity, with Discovery investors earning 29%. It comes just three years after AT&T completed an $85 billion deal to acquire Time Warner. Speaking to CNBC, Discovery CEO David Zaslav, who will lead the new company, said there will be significant investment in content. We'll be able to super serve advertisers, I think the will help the cable operators drive and drive the the bundle itself, which I think will be helpful to them. But most importantly, you know, right now we're spending this business that 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 John and I are creating together is 20 billion dollars of content today. And we're going to execute on that synergy, but we're going to spend more money on content. So an extraordinary about turn for AT&T and their aspirations in the content arena. AT&T shares down 2.7%, Discovery down 5%, so just reversing some early uh, upward upticks in activity as well. You can see AT&T there as well, uh, actually uh, moving higher uh, and then coming off again later in the session, but still down 20% over the last five years. So any hopes that this would galvanize the share price 
in the very short term, seeming to be thwarted as well. Let's take a look at some of the rivals, including, dare I say it, the owner of this channel, which actually took uh, a bit of a bath yesterday, down 5.5% for Comcast. Walt Disney down 2%. Now, there's various reasons why some of the rivals uh, might be coming off as well, including the fact that do they need to respond? Do they need to try and get involved in this deal despite very hefty break clauses? Will it put pressure on parts of the Comcast business? I've seen all kinds of scenarios out there in the vast amount of column inches that have been written and spoken about this as well. Netflix down 0.9%. Again, are you going to have a big, strong rival on the scene as well? Is that going to impact uh, your the own pressures on your own business to come up with more content and hit your... Uh, your margins as well. But the AT&T CEO, John Stankey, told CNBC uh, the deal is good for investors. This is the right one after looking at tons of options. It's the right one because of the complementary nature of the content with very limited overlap. It was a great way for us to do a, a big cut at the capital structure within AT&T to get it right so the communications company can in fact grow and we can invest appropriately. And you know, my job is to make sure this came out on balance right for the AT&T shareholder and aggregate. And I, I think we did that here. And I'm really pleased about that. Well, as Steve was pointing out, the deal has put pressure on a lot of other media players to begin thinking about how they respond. Uh, we have full coverage and a write-up on CNBC.com. So go and take a look at that and where some of the other players could be involved in potential deals going forward. And you want to know one man who is apoplectic about this story or has been about AT&T's actions. Well, that's our very own Jim Cramer, who described this as ending one of the dumbest mergers in recent history, the original AT&T Time Warner deal. Head to the website if you want to see uh, Mr. Kramer's reaction, Karen. And Jeff, let's get to Alex DeGroote, who is an independent media analyst. And Alex, we've spoken about many media deals over the, the years. This one is meant to be slightly different, though, challenging everyone, the new players in the industry, the Netflix and Disney Plus uh, streaming giants, but also the traditional players. How big a shake-up do you think this deal is? Yes, I think it is a very big shake-up. There's no question about that. This is about who's going to buy for number three or four in the streaming space. So we have Netflix as the clear market leader, followed by Disney. And then, and then this uh, positioning these guys, Discovery and Warner, to be number four. In addition, it solves a neat problem for AT&T, which is that the market, frankly, is um, having a problem. In, we're trying to marry content and distribution at a time when those two pillars of media are being driven apart. So it is a big deal and it solves lots of problems, at least on paper. So, Alex, let me ask you a very traditional question then around debt and synergies. It uh, adds about $56 billion in debt uh, the combined company will end up with, synergies of $3 billion. Uh, this is a big number on both fronts. Do you think the company, the combined entity, can manage both the debt and synergies? Well, on the and that's a question, on the synergies front, I listened to what Mr Stanky said there just before we, we started chatting. And he was saying that the assets are complementary. In other words, there's not much overlap. So I don't get how they talk to such an aggressive figure, $3 billion, if the asset mix is complementary. That doesn't stack up. In terms of debt, well, I'm afraid you can't wish the debt away. So it's reallocating the debt, some of the debt back onto the stable telecom side of it, some of it onto this new business, and hope that the combined entity has lots of cash to pay down that debt. 
Alex, um, I hope you're still with us because I, I think we're having a bad life. Uh, Jeff, Jeff's just got me reading this um, this article uh, with uh, Jim Cramer, our colleague stateside. He said it was not a transformational deal. It's the final act of one of the dumbest mergers in recent history. So says Mr. Cramer. The truth is AT&T made a boneheaded decision and now they're paying for it. You talked about the debt levels, Alex, as well. We've seen boneheaded mergers uh, in media and TMT for a very long time. Are the prices just too high now for rivals to start trying to get involved and trying to up their own content levels? I think so. I, the, the, the barriers to entry are increasing. These guys, make mis- no mistake, will have scale, uh, but the prices are rising. I think my question for viewers this morning and for you guys is, really, we're looking at the end of COVID in terms of the vaccine rollout. Will people still be consuming as much streamed entertainment once they can get out and about, once mobility improves? From point of view, shouldn't we be considering that factor? Um, yes, indeed. Um, let me ask you about um, the company, which I am the tiniest shareholder in, in history, uh, Comcast, um, being it's my parents' parent company. Um, what do you think Comcast needs to do? Their shares, yes, they were down over 5%. Yeah, I think Comcast has similar, some similar issues to these guys. One of Comcast's biggest strategic issues is its exposure to what's known as linear TV or traditional TV. And the issue there, particularly but also in Europe, is that of cord cutting, i.e. where viewers want to unbundle or stop taking the programming. I do you think this poses an issue? They don't quite have the debt issues that the TNT have, so they have the luxury of time. But yes, we can put that category of additional media company that really needs to think 10 years out. Where will we be in 10 years out? Can we really afford to be level six in streaming if streaming is the way forward? And we think it is. Alex, you remember we got so excited about the triple play, about the quad play, about the motivation that ultimately drove AT&T to do that original $85 billion deal with Time Warner. I can't believe in such a, a short space of time, all the arguments for the synergies that were sold by the investment bankers, the arguments for the conglomerates and the bringing together of a media and a telecom company are now worth nothing. Is this really the right direction of travel, given what you've said about actually we may have gone peak content? Well, I think the, uh, the, the what you're seeing here, and you can see it at home in the UK with the likes of the there is a great of content distribution. I that is an ongoing factor. I don't see a reversal of that trend now. Um, in terms of AT&T, they will have listened to their shareholders and they will have listened to their bankers. And quite frankly, their leverage ratios were beginning to creak. Where does that leave the telecom companies? I know you're primarily a media analyst, but... Um you know, we were told that these businesses were becoming dull and utility-like in terms of their cash flow generation. If they break up away from the media businesses that sort of revved up the earnings profile, do they then just sink back to becoming boring old utility-type businesses? Well, that's a great question. There are two big strategic things happening within, within, within telecoms, primarily around 5G, and also improved connectivity. So there are periods and areas of innovation taking. But yes, ultimately, these are cash cow type businesses. They don't necessarily have the growth profile that media businesses have. If you own a media stock, you own it for growth. If you own a telco, you generally own it for dividend and cash flow. 
Alex, real pleasure, pleasure catching up with you. I think we persevered despite the line and I think we got your messages across. So uh, once again, thanks for being with us this, this morning, Alex de Groot. Let's, uh, let's move on and give you a few more lines from the, uh, the space. Um, Amazon now reportedly in talks to acquire US film studio MGM. It's a deal worth around $9 billion. The tie-up would give the technology giant the rights to the James Bond and the Hobbit franchises. Amazon has not commented on the speculation. Amazon has over 200 million Prime members and spent around $11 billion on content last year. I wonder if we might end up then with a crossover movie with a very short James Bond. Um, French TV group TF1 has agreed to enter exclusive merger talks with rival M6 after striking a deal with the group's majority shareholders. However, competition issues are set to loom large over the deal with the two companies' private free uh, networks in France. The deal comes after the German group had approached several potential buyers for the stake in recent months. Bouygues, TF Earn's majority shareholder, will own around 30% of the merged company. There's nothing worse than two British blokes with their schoolboy French trying to say TF Earn, is there? <laughs> and having a jolly good fun with it. Is it it's not TF Earn, is it? It's TF Earn. Karen? Well, I'm just thinking of the German equivalent when you talk about the Proceedings at Mainz. So yeah, it comes yeah. out a bit nicer than that. Oh. Yeah. Got to be in German as well. <laughs> Got to be in a lot of languages, actually. Never quite went to the uh, top level. Anyway, that shows, doesn't it? Coming up on the show, French food giant Danone uh, names a new CEO ending a months-long search. Uh, we'll give you the latest on that after the break. Plus, there'll be plenty more great uh, French pronunciations. We have for more on the mega deal between AT&T and Discovery and what it could mean for the streaming landscape, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. car industry may not see a steady supply of semiconductor chips return until 2022. Extraordinary. Uh, this according to the CEO of the world's largest automotive supplier, Bosch. Now, Volkmar Dana's warning of difficult months ahead comes after Volkswagen boss Herbert Diess uh, said his firm was in crisis mode due to the chip shortage, which uh, is uh, with profit basically going to be likely under pressure in the second quarter. That doesn't sound like base effects, does it? Or transitionary inflation. Anyway, let's move on. You've moved on. Yes. OK, so car maker Stellantis uh, will unveil details of a new strategic partnership with the Taiwanese iPhone assembler Foxconn later today. Fiat Chrysler had planned to set up a JV with Foxconn's parent company, Honhai Precision Industry, to build electric vehicles and internet-connected cars in 2020. However, that deal was delayed by the merger with PSA, the world's fourth-largest carmaker, uh, which is keen to relaunch in China, as Foxconn has signed a bevy of contracts with carmakers focusing on electric car production. Jeff. 
The uh, French food giant Danone has named the outgoing boss of the Swiss chocolatier Barry Calabo Antoine de Saint-Afrique as its new CEO. The yogurt maker is looking to stage a turnaround after ousting former CEO Emmanuel Faber in March amid activist pressure over poor sales growth and share price performance. Well, to find out a little bit more about the uh, new man coming in at Danone, let's get out to Charlotte here. And he has, it would seem, the credentials, uh, Charlotte, to take up the cudgels at Danone now. Yes, on paper, he ticks many of the boxes that have been put, uh, that have been mentioned really by some of the activist shareholders that have been involved at Danone since the beginning of the year. And therefore, um, we're seeing the former chairman and CEO and then just CEO Emmanuel Faber being pushed out of the company. And it's, it's been very swift work. It took only two months to, fa- to name the replacement of Emmanuel Faber as CEO of the group and now Antoine de Saint-Afrique, the 57-year-old. Uh, that's a name that's been rumored, that's been floating around for the past few weeks. And really, that grew really the rumor since uh, at the end of April, when, uh, when Monsieur de Saint-Africa announced that he was stepping down in his role of CEO at Barry Calbo uh, at the end of the summer. So really, his name was doing the rounds. And now they confirmed yesterday that he will be the CEO starting mid-September. Some will be disappointed because another name that was in the race was Nathalie Rousse, one of the top uh, managers uh, at, uh, formerly at L'Oréal. And she could have been the second female CEO on the CAC 40 with the CEO of NG. But uh, then in the race, uh, Antoine de Saint-Africa was the one that won at Danone has extensive experience in the food industry, uh, which was one of the key criteria that had been put forward by those activist shareholders. He spent more than 20 years at Unilever. He was the head of their food division there for several years. He also spent a little stint at Danone in the 90s for a few years. Uh, he's worked across the world. Uh, and he also put a lot of emphasis on innovation and sustainability, which have been two of the key values and criteria also for Danone to uh, grow forward. You remember that Danone is an entreprise and mission, and that's a criteria that's been confirmed by the board even after the party of Emmanuel Faber saying this is still at the heart of the philosophy of the company. Uh, now, uh, the, the, the challenges ahead for him, of, of course, would be to turn around uh, really the, 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 the strategy at Danone. You remember that the local first strategy, this one that was implemented first by Emmanuel Faber just a few months ago, one that's been reconfirmed by the board to reorganize the company around geographies. We we'll have to see whether Monsieur de Saint-Afrique push, uh, pushes with this uh, strategy. They're also doing going through job cuts, cutting about 2,000 jobs and organizing more than 1 billion in savings by 2023. So this will be a lot of challenges ahead. Also catching up with the performance that we've seen in Nestle. Also the share performance at Danone has been very much underperforming a lot of their competitors. But looking at the performance that Monsieur Saint-Afrique had at Barry Calbo, uh, during his tenure, CEO, the share has more than doubled in the years he was there. So I'm sure investors will be looking at this very interested. And uh, the, the, the shares of Danone yesterday was one of the top gainers on the CAC 40 yesterday after the first First rumors, first reports came out that uh, that Danone would name him as CEO yesterday. So it uh, looks like for the moment, investors are quite excited about this name, guys. Yeah, Charlotte, thanks very much indeed for that. No doubt the 15 years at uh, Unilever will uh, not go amiss when it comes to getting to grips with Danone. Thank you. Uh, well, nothing to see here. That seems to be the message from the Fed speakers at the moment. The Atlanta Fed President, Raphael Bostic, has backed the central bank's ultra-loose policy stance, saying it will help support the labour market recovery. Speaking to CNBC, Bostic also said a recent uptick in inflation was not a surprise. We expected a lot of volatility and inflation in the next couple of months. We know that 
last year was not very strong in terms of inflation. So as we come out of the pandemic and into a recovery mode, we know that the numbers are just going to look large. So that's there. We also know that with all the relief money that's in families' hands, we've got pent-up demand, and that's going to put upward pressure on prices as well. U.S. markets, though, are still concerned about the inflation outlook, and you can see it in the reversal we still witnessed across the charts yesterday, particularly the big technology names. That saw the Nasdaq fall more aggressively than the Dow, the S&P. You can see the tech-heavy index down close to four-tenths of a percent, but still modest moves versus the tech route that roiled the markets the other week. If we delve into the technology sector, you can see the impact of the likes of Apple down nine-tenths of a percent. Microsoft, actually one of the big drivers for the S&P, the Nasdaq, was down almost one2 but there was that other impact of this AT&T discovery merger talks or consolidation talks impacting the likes of Netflix. And we saw it also on Disney stock on the Dow. So that was one feature just worth bearing in mind. In terms of treasuries, a quick look at the trade as we continue to watch the market very closely. 1.64% where we're sitting on that 10-year U.S. yield. A dollar crosses. Uh, we have seen uh, the dollar trade run multi-year lows, a multi-month lows, I should say, versus the euro. And currently, the euro supported morning session 121.65 also sterling getting a nice pop this morning more than a quarter of a percent and uh, traveling close to the 142 mark dollar on the back foot versus the japanese yen and also the chinese currency the energy trade uh, the early look as uh, we consider just a little bit of risk off for markets though Oil prices remain supported this morning, about a third of a percent to the upside for both Brent and WTI. Gold has had some traction lately on inflation fears. We've got a bounce, as you can see, uh, troubling us right back towards uh, 1870 at this stage. The Asian markets, this is how we're trading. Uh, yesterday, a big focus on the Chinese data. You can see the Chinese market, uh, very slim ranges today, but it is the Japanese stock market out in front, 2.3% pop there, shedding some of the weakness from last week. And also uh, worth noting, not on the boards here, but Taiwan having a stunning day, a real bounce back for that market after aggressive, aggressive selling of later on those COVID fears, but also the technology story. A quick look at the opening calls. Uh, Europe had a bit of a weak start to the trading week yesterday. We reversed mostly across the board, but particularly on the French market, down just over a quarter of a percent. But you can see signals are green this morning for a positive start. So we look like uh, we're in a fairly upbeat morning for the Tuesday look, session. Anyone who's owned Tesla for a substantial period of time, by that I mean longer than 10 minutes, or actually I mean longer than this year, has done very, very well out of this stock pretty much as well. It has had a meteoric rise. You know that better than anyone. It's gone from about 40 bucks uh, in 2018 to, well, it's now 576 bucks. So you think, wow, that's amazing. That is great. And it is great. But is something happening here for the longer term that some people have been concerned about for a long time, i.e. great company, silly valuation? Because it was 880 bucks. If you bought Tesla around about early January, January the 8th actually was the high, uh, 880 bucks, you have now lost $300 on that stock. It is now trading at 576. But it's interesting because not all people think this one has con uh, finished with its downtick. Famed investor Michael Burry has revealed a $534 million short position against Tesla. The shares of electric car maker fell over 2% in Monday's session. Well, actually, they're down 18% year to date. Now, this has extended the losses of the past few weeks. Burry is known as the man who successfully bet against the U.S. housing bubble before the financial crisis hit, featuring in both the big short book, and I didn't know he was in the film as well. I love the right. film. Was Christian Bale. Exactly it? right. One, yeah. one of the Steve big, uh, Hollywood hits. Christian Bale. Oh, um, who else was in it? Was Damon in it? Matt Damon. Oh, I 
Come on, Gallery, been, help me out on this it's one. It's been a while now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, great book and great film. But is he, is he on the money on this one? The, the lack of purchases down the track, potentially, as you see this huge shift towards ESG, how many companies are going to be buying these carbon credits and what does it do to Tesla as the rest of that the industry starts pivoting what you towards just said. A cleaner fuel? Now, that is brilliant what you just said. You just went straight in for the bit that makes them the most money, about right. carbon credit. You didn't even mention they make you know, those things with four <laughs> wheels. You said about the carbon credits, and that's very interesting because the competitive environment on the four-wheeled bit, i.e. what they call automobiles, uh, that's getting tougher and tougher. We know that every premium, and I saw an advert for the Ford Mach-E, it looks a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. You know, the, Every day we get a new electric launch. So Tesla had the premium range to themselves for a very long time. Now the competition is intense, but straight away you went for the bit. You went for almost like the Amazon AWS bit, the bit that is guaranteed to make your money year in, year out. And I think that tells a lot about the broader story on this. Well, we've seen a huge push, right? It's not just the auto sector we're talking about. It's broad. It's across some of the heavy polluters as well. So you have to wonder what those offsets look like down the track. And I I think uh, the track record of Burry makes it an interesting bet, doesn't it, Jeff? Yeah, sorry. Uh, I don't know whether you were throwing to me, Karen, the director was talking to me at the same time there. But um, if you were, because uh, I can't hear anything else in my ears at the moment, let me just point out Warren Buffett, I thought was interesting in these filings, guys. Warren Buffett um, selling down chunks of Chevron and Wells Fargo. We know uh, Buffett came in for quite a lot of stick about the investment strategy and how he fits in with that broader issue of the uh, clean um, zero emissions goals. Uh, interesting that the messaging from these latest filings appears to be that he's more interested in owning Aon and getting back into insurance, which is something, of course, uh, he understands very well and uh, has reduced his holdings in Chevron. Of course, it might have something to do with the fact that the oil prices turned around a little bit and floated a lot of boats in that sector. But I thought that was noteworthy, given that you're going down the road on these uh, carbon credits with Tesla. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.